Welcome to the Public Health Power Hour podcast, a recording of live conversations with public health experts on the most important global health issues. I'm Steve Hamill, Vice President of Policy Advocacy and Communication at Vital Strategies. We're a global health organization and we're reimagining public health. At Vital Strategies, we believe that public health is everything that surrounds you that makes great health possible. That means clean air and water, access to medicine and quality care, healthy food and places to get exercise, and removing bias and discrimination in healthcare. Here on the Public Health Power Hour, we get together to look at how the world around us shapes our health and how we can shape the environment so that everyone everywhere has the potential for great health. And if you want to join our conversations live, please follow us on Twitter under the handle VitalStrat. Welcome to the Public Health Power Hour discussion on next generation addiction. My name is Steve Hamill from Vital Strategies, and I'll be playing a, a tech support role in today's discussion. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our excellent um, facilitator, Yaine Hailu. Yaine, over to you. Thanks, Steve. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Public Health Power Hour. This is a, uh, a weekly clubhouse meetup to discuss the relationship between personal health and public health. Um, and when we say public health, this means everything around you that makes great health possible. So, you know, it means clean air and water. It means access to medicines and healthy foods and places to get exercise. Um, you know, it also means supportive culture and removing barriers to health like bias and systems that you know, prevent access to good quality health care um, for everyone. So it's, it's really never been a, a more important conversation. I think um, COVID has really shown us that we have so much more to do to protect people's health. Um, and, you know, as Steve mentioned, I'm Yaine Hailu, writer, storyteller. Um, I'm pretty passionate about telling the stories that inspire us to live better. And I'm also the senior content strategist for um, Vital Strategies um, Stop, a global tobacco industry watchdog. Um, Vital Strategies, you know, started this clubhouse community to learn about different areas of public health and to share different perspectives. Um, we have different focus topics each week, but we also want to look at the bigger picture. All the speakers you see here today are participating in their personal capacity and any statements um, and views on this show represent their personal points of view. Also, um, just to note, we will be recording this show. So if you speak, please note we may use your comments in a future recording. So, you know, today's show is about next generation addiction. Um, this is really how the tobacco industry is trying to addict the next crop of customers, aka young people. Uh, but before we get into it, I think each week we like to warm up the room a little bit. Um, and of course, with the help of everyone here. Um, so we want to ask folks to share a news story that caught their eye um, from this week. If anyone would like to share something from the news that they, they kind of resonated with, please raise your hand and you can come up on stage. Um, and in the meantime, I can share something that I thought was quite interesting. So I think it's kind of been in the news cycle for quite some time, but I did see a couple of articles this week about um, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player who um, has been really speaking up about her mental health struggles and how she turned down the you know media um, opportunity and you know there was this big frenzy. This really spoke to me because 
I think it's really important. I mean, in terms of public health, mental health issues are a major um, mental uh, public health issue as well. And I think it's been one that's kind of been under wraps for a long time. And so to see somebody who is young and also a person of color, because in these communities, you know, mental health is not prioritized. I think it's really it speaks to the times that we're living in. And it really um, it's I think it's promising for public health. Um, So that really resonated with me. Um, Emma or Janan or Steve, anyone on stage want to share an article? Uh, Sure, Yane. Um, uh, One that I actually only just read, but that's been out for a couple of weeks, is um, a New York Times article about a seminal study into metabolism. And it uh, really just debunks a lot of the kind of current understanding of how metabolism works and a lot of the kind of understandings of, you know, in particular for women and how um, our metabolism slows and the differences between men and women in metabolism and basically upends all the thinking around metabolism. And I think to me, this really speaks to me because there's a lot of diet culture myths around metabolism and, and how that all works, but also often we do get these seminal studies that really make us rethink how we look at health and public health and the advice we're giving. And so that's really resonated with me. That's awesome. Thanks, Emma. Um, Anyone else? I wanted to share uh, with, you know, it's been such a difficult, I was going to say a few weeks, maybe year, but I was, but I wanted to hunt and peck for some good news. Um, This is coming out of the United News of Bangladesh. The title is Bangladesh Ranks First in the World for Breastfeeding. Um, And you likely know, um, because we have a public health audience here, that breastfeeding is really important for the health of children. And children who breastfeed um, end up, you know, much more likely to survive their first five years. They tend to be, tend less to be underweight. Um, And it's really critically important. Um, And um, Bangladesh has been uh, working on this, the Ministry of Health, and has achieved just one out of two countries that, that, that received a, a green light for the, um, for their work on this. Um, One other thing I thought was interesting that people may not know um, is that that's sort of related to today's topic is that, you know, one of the big barriers in breastfeeding is, is industry interference because the companies that make, um, you know, uh, synthetic, you know, basically make baby formula, even in low and middle income countries go and, um, have all kinds of efforts to convince women that, you know, maybe it'll be easier just to use this formula because breastfeeding is so hard or, you know, they in in the past have been documented going around in hospitals and giving out formula so that the babies first have formula and the mother's lactation never starts. So there is, um, I was always surprised a few years ago when I learned about this topic to, to learn that there is kind of a commercial determinant here for the reason that why many millions, tens of millions of women around the world aren't breastfeeding um, their children. But it's great to see Bangladesh has made a lot of progress in this area. Wow. Thanks, Steve. That's that's pretty interesting, the connection between um, between breastfeeding and kind of these large corporations. We can, we can jump right in. We can move on to um, the topic for today. So... Let's kick off this conversation by breaking down what we actually mean by next generation addiction. What we really mean is, uh, you know, the tobacco companies 
really want one thing, and that's to get as many people as possible addicted to their products. Um, you know, in the last couple of decades, they've been saying they've changed. They want us. They want you to believe that. But the truth is, a majority of their profits are still coming from selling cigarettes. And we know that cigarettes, you know, if used properly, are actually meant to um, kill half their 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 users. So that means that these companies have to constantly replace customers or risk going out of business. Um, and when we think about it, you know, they really have their sights set on young people because they're the ideal customer. Um, once you hook young people on these products, they're guaranteed to give you a lifetime of profits um, from the perspective of the these tobacco companies. So now they're targeting these youth. Um, they're using new addictive products like e-cigarettes, heated tobacco products, etc. And they're really deploying these tactics that are going to be appealing to this younger um, generation. And of course, you know, the, the industry is pushing this rhetoric about how these products are safer and they're really intended to help cigarette smokers who are looking to switch. Um, but what we're seeing is that they're really hiding an underlying motive. And that is counting on these young people to fund its future business. Um, so I want to speak with someone who knows firsthand about this and specifically about vaping. Um, Janan, who's on stage here, is a former vapor who in late 2019 uh, fell extremely ill and was hospitalized after vaping for about four months. Um, he spent 14 days in the ICU, including five in an induced coma and eight on life support. And since then, Janan founded his own nonprofit organization called Youth Against Vaping. Um, he's also an ambassador for the anti-tobacco organization Truth, um, and using his story to spread awareness about nicotine addiction. Janan, welcome to the stage. Um, you have a harrowing story. Can you give us a bit more firsthand about how you started vaping and kind of the, the journey up until this moment? First of all, thank you for having me, Yarne. And uh, yes, uh, I... Um... I started vaping in high school, like many of today's youth. Uh, and the main factor that caused me to start vaping was that most of the kids in my grade were vaping, especially the kids that were more popular or cooler. And um, at that time in 2018, I actually graduated from high school then, um, there was a crackdown. There was beginning to be a crackdown on vaping. However, I feel like there's been greater attention given to this uh, issue in more recent years, the last couple of years. But the reasons why I, I wanted to vape was because I'd read a few articles online and it showed that it was much healthier than smoking. And uh, the flavors were also a draw. The different flavors that were more popular at that time, there was creme brulee, there was uh, pineapple, mango. And the main product that was used at that time was Juul and Sorn. They were the two more popular ones. And those are replaceable cartridge uh, products. Um, and I remember I was 17. And there was a smoke shop in my local area that everybody knew sold to people that were underage or minors. And uh, I'm not going to mention the name. However, it's in a neighborhood in San Diego called Pacific Beach. And I drove there. I had just gotten my license maybe like a few months before that. I drove there and they didn't ID me and I paid 80 bucks. I still have the receipt myself. So um, the, those were the reasons. And I remember the first day I showed up to school with this vape, at least the kids that I was hanging around with at the time, they didn't vape yet, but they thought that it was really cool. 
Wow, that's that's really interesting. Um, did you? What do you think? So I know you're you're saying you kind of started because of the pressures and you know in your peer group and things like that. What do you think um, the the marketing aspect of things were? Do you think there was any role of how these products were promoted in in um, why people were so were thinking it was cool? Definitely, hundred percent. Uh, at that time, it was the tail end of Jules still marketing on platforms like Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, how, but they quickly cracked down on it because I feel like it had ran under the radar for quite some time. But yes, definitely. I mean, years of campaigns showing young people dressed in hip and cool clothing using the Jewel product, uh, people that typically aren't part of the, you know, the, the, the buyer base of tobacco products. And I 100% believe that the form of marketing that they were using, the, the platforms they were marketing on and the ways that they were marketing had a huge role in the number of people that later became addicted to nicotine with uh, through vaping. Wow. And you said that mainly, like, where were you seeing it most, you and your peers, like on social media or um, other places as well? On a few occasions on Instagram, on a few occasions on, on Snapchat. However, uh, what's often overlooked is that in the advertisements outside of smoke shops, uh, those are a lot less, uh, you know, controversial because, it, I mean, it's at a smoke shop. or in, and, and, you know, when you're underage, you're walking on the street. And in California, at least where I live, in Southern California, especially in college areas, um, there's a lot of smoke shops. So when you're walking outside, you see the advertisement. And as a result, you think to yourself, wow, the people in this picture are a lot younger than what I would think smokers are, how old they are. And uh, as a result, you know, I feel like that also played a role. That makes sense. Um, So knowing what you know now, if there's one thing you'd want young people to take away from this conversation you were having today, what would it be? Well, I think that if I wanted to really tell young people what I think, they might not like it. And that is that often what your parents tell you is probably the right thing you should be doing. And I remember my dad was telling me not to vape and he was telling me that it's unhealthy. And he was telling me that some people had even had Evali, which is what I ultimately uh, was diagnosed with. But unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And a lot of it is based on some early research that was done in the field of vaping that proved that it was much less carcinogenic, and it's much healthier. And as a result, these, uh, these articles and these studies, uh, which some of them are nowadays are inaccurate, are still being championed, and they're still being brought up. And as a result, I, I told my dad, I said, you don't know anything. I literally, my literally my words to him were that you're like the sheep of the tobacco industry that's going to, and and you're not open to new technologies that may save millions of lives. And I basically just completely just shut him down on that. And in the end, I, and in the, in the end, he was right um, that, you know, when you're, young, your brain is still developing. And you're more likely the synapses that happen in your brain, um, they're, uh, they, they, uh, they can form addiction much faster than 
a brain that's been developed fully, like after the age of, I believe, 25. So as a result, you become more addicted in a faster manner. And, uh, and yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. I became super addicted. Uh, so yeah, so if there was one word, one thing that I wanted to tell them is that um, listen to your parents and don't put anything other than oxygen in your lungs. <laughs> That's definitely a good message. Um, and what kind of, I know I, I gave kind of a, an overview of your story, but just hearing you speak, like what, what kind of um, turned you around? I mean, obviously you, you felt very ill, but where did you start really changing your mind? You know, especially when you were like looking at these outdated studies that were giving you the wrong information, where did you kind of shift? I, well, I was baptized with fire. My experience was probably less than one tenth of 1% of people that ever vape will ever experience 1% of what I had to go through, to be honest. But um, by the time that I turned around, it was too late, actually. I was already had done severe damage to my lungs. And uh, I actually remember I, I had been vaping for quite some time. I was very addicted. And then I started losing my appetite. Um, and I was uh, having some gastrointestinal problems. Um, I was having difficulty sleeping. And that's because my lungs were failing and I had no idea. And I thought, oh, maybe it's... Um, maybe it's time to stop smoking. So I stopped smoking, right? So I stopped vaping. And um, I told my mom, even I'm like, Mom, I'm stopping vaping. I don't feel very healthy these few days. And she's like, Okay. And so I thought maybe well, maybe the sleep is because of the nicotine and, and the different additives in the nic- in the vapes, and it's messing up my sleep. And I thought to myself, maybe my dot my appetite, I know that nicotine is like an is like a suppressant, a diets, uh, a, a uh, appetite suppressant. Maybe that has something to do with it, right? And so I went for a run. I remember one day, and I ran like three or four miles, and I felt really ill afterwards. And that night, I couldn't sleep. My dad came into my room. I had shallow breathing, and they took me to the hospital the next morning. And my oxygen saturation was 55%, which is, it's it's very low. I mean, it's at the point of passing out, losing consciousness. So the fact that I was still alert was quite miraculous. And so, you know, then they put me in a medically induced coma. And when I woke up, it was about six, seven days later, they I started waking up. Um, I asked the nurses, I'm like, was this because of vaping? And they said, yes. And, you know, after that, I, I still had another year of suffering in terms of just recovery. And during that period, I realized a lot of things, I matured a lot. And, and I sought I set out to make an impact in my community. And that's what I'm doing now. Amazing. Janan, thank you so much for, for sharing that story. And I think, you know, it's always good for us um, to hear the, basically the results of what we've been trying to get people to pay attention to, which is, you know, these things don't, it's not always just by choice that people are picking up these vapes. The tobacco industry is targeting and pushing young people to, to this type of addiction. Um, and actually, just last week, Stop launched a campaign called Modern Addiction, Hooking the Next Generation. And that details globally how the tobacco industry is targeting youth with these alternative products. Um, And essentially, Janan, it's like your story times a million. Mm -hmm. I want to turn over to our other um, colleague here, Emma. 
Um, and Emma, I'll let you introduce yourself, but um, why do you think the industry is so focused on young people? Thanks, Yane. Um, so I guess by way of quick introduction, I'm a public health advocate who's passionate about addressing these commercial determinants of health, and I've been doing it for about 12 years now. Uh, professionally, I am a senior program manager with STOP, um, one of the partners with STOP, the union. And my role is really to support partners around the world, fight back against the industry's harmful practices. Um, and so why is the industry so focused on young people? Um, I mean, as you've mentioned at the top, Yane, the reality is, is that the industry's business model is one that is designed in a way that it's losing customers because their product is killing them. Um, and additionally, more and more people, especially in higher income countries, are actually quitting or in countries where we've had some ex effective tobacco control policies. So the industry really needs to hook this new, new users to stay in business. And young people are their ideal target because once they're addicted, it becomes extremely hard to quit. Um, you know, not everyone has an experience like Jayan where you you have such an acute health problem that really snaps you and makes you want to quit. It, it just it's nicotine is so addictive and it's so hard to quit. So the younger um, the industry is able to get people hooked, that that means they have decades of profits uh, because of the how hard it is to to quit. In terms of cigarettes, the industry has become experts at attracting that next generation. Most of lifetime users uh, start before they're 21. And in some countries, the average age of initiation is as young as 12. So again, decades and decades of profits if they're able to hook these, these users. Um, and then with the new nicotine products, the industry is using the tactics it's perfected over the years to capture young people who you know, in, in some countries, societal changes um, have happened around the perception of tobacco use and the acceptance of smoking has gone way down. So those people would never, those young people would never consider trying cigarettes, but they don't know about nicotine so much. And so they are willing. So that's why the industry is, is kind of reshaping and, and pushing out these new products. And, and we, learned earlier, um, or last month, I guess, with a release of a report from the WHO on the global tobacco epidemic, that uh, with looking at these new products and addressing these issues, that the industry is, is focusing more and more in low and middle income countries, especially as we see these shifts in perceptions and policies. Wow. Thanks, Emma. That's, that's kind of... <laughs> It seems like the industry is trying to target people uh, in, you know, many different angles and trying to see which one sticks. And it seems that, like, things work for different people, right? Um, so we've kind of already talked about how they're really, even though they say they're, they're not targeting people with cigarettes, they're still doing that, including youth. Um, but I think what's really concerning about these new threats, these new products um, that are being targeted to youth, is that there's so many different ways that they're pushing nicotine, as you mentioned. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Like, what do they actually look like? How do they actually work? Yeah, so, you know, cigarettes are still the industry's bread and butter. So we're, they are pushing those out still. They're still marketing those to youth. But we are, the companies are pushing out 
nicotine in, in these electronic forms. So I think uh, our US, US-based um, audience is going to be very familiar with Juul as uh, a product that has been, that the industry has a stake in. Uh, but they, but big tobacco like Philip Morris International and BAT are also creating their own electronic products, um, electronic cigarettes that look similar to Juul, but also heated tobacco products where they, you know, it's still actually tobacco that is being heated up. And these these devices look like, I mean, they look like they were designed by Apple, right? They're very sleek. They're very modern. Um, and then you also see beyond electronic products, you're seeing things like nicotine pouches, but again, being marketed in a way um, that are are very attractive to use. And one example of that is BAT's Velos products, which we've seen on F1 racing, and that's how they're trying to attract new, new users. Um, and just like they've done with cigarettes, they're really marketing these products with, as aspirational um, glamorous, you you want to be the people who are in these ads. Um, and it really is appealing to young people and non-smokers. And they're often positioned by tech, tech gadgets, stylish accessories, using influencers and attractive people, making it really a glamorous product um, in a way that, you know, you, you want to be the people who are using these, these products. Um, and, and it's very addictive. And again, you're, you're, we don't really know some of the long-term health effects of, of these products. We just, but we know that there are going to be long-term health effects. Um, and, and I think just to kind of reiterate why the industry is doing this is, um, we actually saw sales globally go down of cigarettes. Um, but in the last few years with the introduction of these new products, and the continued targeting of youth, we are seeing those trends start to reverse. And the industry is actually celebrating in its communications with its shareholders and with the public, the fact that the pool of nicotine users, so they call them nicotine users now, not just tobacco users, is growing. And that doesn't just happen because people who can't quit are switching. It's happening because new users, especially younger users, are are uptaking these products. Um, and, you know, even in some countries, we're actually seeing the epidemic reverse. Like in Ukraine, e-cigarette use rates are much higher than cigarette use rates. Wow, that that is actually a very scary thing. Um, and it's kind of you know, even scarier that you say that these companies know what they're doing, that they are celebrating this with their, you know, shareholders, their, you know, in their company meetings and things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, their whole goal is to tell the people who buy stock in their companies that they're successful and they're profitable. And they have to talk about all this, all these new users and um, that they're capturing new markets. Wow. Well, you actually mentioned something else that I think um, Janan also mentioned, and I thought it was really interesting. You brought up this, um, the idea of this like glamour, this like aspirational lifestyle image um, vision that the industry is trying to create. So it's not just about, it sounds like it's not just about the products, they're trying to sell a dream, right? Um, I mean, the industry is using this whole new set of tactics. And, you know, you mentioned like, social media influencers. I know they've used fancy events and things like that. 
do you um and this question is really both for for emma and janan like do you what examples could you share with us um and have you seen this especially janan come up in your experience in my experience social media influencers um not all of them have promoted this sort of these sort of products actually the majority of them have not however they do act in a certain way or do certain things while either streaming or uploading of when being filmed in one of their YouTube videos that might glamorize it in a way. So they basically don't do it directly. They do it indirectly. Um, some of them vape or they have like a box mod, which is a very large vape that produces large clouds of smoke. Um, and it's because even, even now it's still pretty cool to vape. And it's it's unfortunate. It will likely take the same amount of time or an equal amount of time that it took to deglamorize smoking to deglamorize vaping because of just the norms we have in our society. But to answer the question, yes, I do think that some social media influencers um, do promote and glamorize uh, vaping. Yeah, and I, I think in, in, there's been a lot of kind of research into influencers and, um, you know, I think the industry is trying to meet their target, their target's youth at where they are. Um, and so it may not, it is subtle. Um, sometimes it's just a hashtag that, um, trying to think of a, of a good one, but like something that would be like seize the day, but have a little bit of a, a product um, tag into it as well. And so, so you will see people using that hashtag because they want to seize the day and, and you're just perpetuating this kind of like the, um, normality of, of those hashtags and those products. And then, and then they're targeting those people once they kind of have them and their information. Um, and then I think you're also seeing quite a bit of, uh, seeing these products show up um, in sports and it, at music festivals, uh, we we have a lot of work that we've done around how the industry is using Formula One racing to to really promote these products, and and this is something that we wouldn't see happen with uh, tobacco products. We we basically got cigarettes out of sports um, in a lot of ways, but now the industry feels like they can can use these new products because they're transforming themselves. Um, and then, yeah, you really do see tents and, and, um, you know, photo walls at festivals and things like that, where you're going to be sitting there by a hashtag or sitting there by an image that just helps to normalize these products amongst their target audience. Yeah. I've definitely seen, you know, like the hashtag, like a better tomorrow. I've seen, um, some like Velo on Twitch and things like that. So they're really using all kinds of um, avenues to market these, um, these products. And I, in Russia and Ukraine, we've seen just like photos after photos of people at events sometimes um, with the, with, you know, with a, with the product there and that's, and they just promote that all over the place. Right. Thanks, Emma. Um, I do want to take a second to to switch gears just a little bit and I want to turn to um, supporting those who want to quit for a moment. So first of all, Janan, before you were hospitalized, did you want to quit or um, did it only happen like once you got really sick? Um, well, 
one of the symptoms of E-Valley is that it, the onset is extremely fast. Um, and E-Valley stands for e-cigarette vaping use associated lung injury. And it quickly can turn into ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is has a 50% mortality rate. And uh, that's what happened to me. It happened very quickly. <laughs> so I didn't really have a chance. But um, I never wanted to quit. No, uh, I was like hooked like crazy. I was super addicted. Wow, that that's, I mean, I think that's how they want it, right? And <laughs> they, they don't want you to quit, as Emma said. Um, I also know that we have the Truth Initiative has one of the premier quit vaping support programs in the world. And I do see, um, I'm taking a look here, I do see there are a couple of colleagues here from Truth. Maybe I'll give the floor to one of them to speak on it. Um, Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, yeah, so the these stories really highlight the need to uh, not just have policies that prevent big tobacco from targeting kids, but also to have some support and resources on the back end to help young people who are addicted quit because uh, quitting is very difficult. Nicotine addiction is an extremely powerful thing. Uh, and so at Truth Initiative, we created This Is Quitting. It's a totally free text message text message-based program designed to help youth and young adults quit vaping. Anybody can sign up. Just text Ditch Vape to 88709, uh, and then you're enrolled in the program. Uh, it's It provides strategies, information, advice about how to quit. And one of the really key things that it does is it provides a sense of support because we know that quitting can be very lonely for people. And so many of the messages were written by other users to provide advice and encouragement uh, about what has worked for them. And we just recently published a trial in uh, JAMA Internal Medicine uh, that found that people who used the program were about 40% more likely to successfully quit uh, compared to people in a control group. So that was really encouraging. Uh, you know, gold standard trial demonstrating effectiveness, uh, demonstrating this program really does help people. And, uh, and so I would encourage anybody who either is trying to quit or knows somebody who's trying to quit uh, to use it. It's totally free. Um, if you don't like it, you don't have to stay with it. But uh, most people who use it like it quite a bit and find it useful. Um, and then one other note is that we're preparing to launch uh, a second trial that focuses exclusively on teens. And we are recruiting for a youth advisory board. So if anybody in the room knows a teen who either has vaped or currently vapes uh, or just knows about vaping and would like to be part of it, uh, there is an email address in my bio. And uh, please send us an email. Thank you so much. Um, that that seems like a great way, especially, you know, as Emma had mentioned earlier, the tobacco industry is trying to meet young people where they are. And it seems like the solution you guys are are providing is also trying to meet um, young people where they are. Um, so that's awesome. I do have a question. Have you seen any obstacles coming, you know, while you're doing this program coming from the tobacco industry or even just the way that the tobacco industry markets these products all over the place? Do you, does it interfere with your program at all? It's a great question. Uh, one of the big things that we are just starting to try to get a handle on now is the variety of devices that people are using. Um, you know, and you know, like you mentioned, or and like Janan mentioned, 
Uh, there's huge variety in the shape of the devices, what they look like, you know, big box mods versus uh, pod-based systems, uh, rechargeable, disposable pod-based systems. But the differences aren't just surface level. Uh, they also differ a lot in the amount of nicotine that they can deliver per unit time. Um, and one of the things that we are starting to see is that the success people have at quitting might vary depending on the type of device that they use, right? If you use a device that just delivers a huge blast of nicotine, uh, you're probably going to be more addicted than a device that delivers less. Um, and so I think that's something that we need to try to get a better handle on and might be something for regulators. Um, but the tobacco industry is already there, right? They, they know this. They're, they're ahead of us. And it's almost like a race to see who can develop a new device that will deliver more nicotine and be more addicting to get more kids hooked. Mm, that just sounds devious. <laughs> really? Yeah, um, they are devious. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it just it sounds like the industry is just desperate to, to rehabilitate its image, right? They're like, these companies are doing whatever they can to kind of keep up to speed with changing times. Um, I, I do want to open it up to Emma and Janan. How do you see this showing up in your world um, in, from your different perspectives? Well, in my experience, a lot of my friends are, are still addicted to vaping. Um, and uh, it's funny because my experience didn't really change their mind about anything. I mean, they did say, oh, that's cool and all, but unfortunately it highlights the, the incredible forces of addiction that, um, you know, even when your parents show you evidence that, oh, look, there's these kids that are getting sick and they're vaping the exact same thing you're vaping or that, oh, one of my best buds got really sick and was hospitalized and almost really died needed a lung transplant. Unfortunately, when there isn't enough resources um, and there isn't enough of a support system for a lot of these young people, um, there's really nothing that can shake their their addiction. You know, one thing I would just add to that is that one thing we see with a lot of our users is that they, uh, they don't realize that they're addicted until they try to stop, right? With... Uh, with people who are older, maybe been smoking cigarettes for decades, they know that they're addicted. They know how hard it is to quit. But for a lot of young people, uh, using some of these new devices, they they get hooked pretty quickly and before they realize it. And so when we, a lot of them, when they come to our program, it's the first time that they're trying to quit, and that's when it hits them that like they can't just turn it off. They're, they need some help. This is going to be a thing. And I think it's very scary and alarming for a lot of young people. Yeah, the the transformation narrative and uh, attempts by the industry, the reformation that they're trying to go through is is really scary. When I started in this field, um, you know, over a decade ago, it felt like we were making progress. Like, I mean, the Truth Campaign Forever has done an amazing job of really uh, – discrediting the industry and, and tarnishing its image and 
with these new products, they're able to kind of reinvent themselves and say, well, that's not who we are anymore. And that's why you're seeing the, these changes, especially in, in high-income countries like the U.S. But I mean, I think for me, working internationally, what it actually is doing is um, making it even harder. In countries like Indonesia, where we didn't go through this, uh, this experience of the industry being the bad actor, and being a pariah in, in public health and in the public and with policymakers. Um, in Indonesia, the, the tobacco companies are celebrated, and now they're celebrated in two ways. They're celebrated as a, as a cigarette company, and they are also celebrated as being part, trying to be part of the solution. And that makes it the conversation so much harder and the policy work so much harder. And um, and, and we're fighting the industry on so many different fronts now. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. There is this narrative now that, um, you know, they want to, the, the tobacco companies want to be seated at the table. They want to be part of the solution. And um, that actually, actually leads me to, to my next question, which is, you know, given all of this, like the slick marketing, you know, like the transformation narrative, all of that, what should policymakers and governments do to keep the industry's dream of this next generation addiction from actually coming to fruition? Yeah, I mean, on the policy front, the, I mean, the first and foremost, like policymakers really should go into this with their eyes open that, um, you know, the industry, even when they're talking about harm reduction and they're talking about um, being part of the solution, their primary goal is profits. It's not, it's not health. And so policymakers need to be taking a public health approach. And because we don't know so much about the actual um, long-term effects of these products, they should be, they should take a much more precautionary approach. And there are so many policies that we know work for tobacco generally, and will also work for nicotine. And that's really strong and also flexible to, uh, TAPS bans, so tobacco advertising promotion and sponsorship bans, so that they can't put those placards outside of, um, of vape shops that attract people and so that they can't be on social media promoting their products. Flavor bans for all products, nicotine products, is a really important thing. 20 up, 1 up in policies and, and really tackling the affordability of these products because Young people in particular, you know, only have so much money. So the least, the less affordable these products are through tax increases and other regulatory measures, um, you know, the more you're going to prevent people from uptaking. That's right. Um, what about for um, advocates or like youth or grassroots groups? Um, what can these people or these groups do to help uh, block the industry? From next generation addiction, um, I believe that the next generation of uh, of addiction, the only way that we can really stop it is if the youth get involved to the maximum of their ability, and uh, that's what I've been doing personally myself in in my area and my neighborhood. I've been uh, imploring and and talking to local elected officials to make um, changes in tobacco retail license laws in my area and uh, also in cracking down and 
imposing greater fines on smoke shops that sell to minors. I think that would be one of the greatest ways to stop teenagers and people that are under the age of 21 from smoking. And also, groups like the Truth Initiative are extremely important because a lot of the time, young people are passionate about these topics and they want to make a change in the world. However, they need some mentorship from people that are older than them to guide them and to tell them when talking to a legislator or a local elected official, you don't talk this way, you talk this way. You don't want to talk too much or you want to pose your question in a certain manner that is more digestible. So that's why I think, you know, uh, a concerted effort of young people with nonprofits that want to make a positive change and people that have more experience in, in certain fields, I think that's the best way that we can make an impact. Yeah, and I, I think there you can't we can't say enough how how impactful and powerful personal stories really are. Um, I work at a very high policy level trying to convince national governments or supporting others to convince global governments to to make policy change. But there really is a lot that can be done um, at a very local level and and not not even in policy change. I've seen school communities go to the kiosks in Indonesia around their schools and tell them to take their advertising down so that they're not attracting uh, the kids who are going there for, for snacks and for candy. And, and so they're really, you know, you just got to get a couple people together and you got to get a common cause and, um, and, and you can make huge impacts. That's, that's amazing. It sounds like there's a little bit of something everyone can do. Um, and I also know that the, the Truth Initiative has had, you know, some great awareness raising um, and award-winning campaigns in the past. Um, I don't know if, if um, Mike or Janan and you guys have more to say about that. Well, um, I, I have, haven't been with the uh, Truth Initiative for that long. However, I, uh, for me, always, I will always wanted to be part of the Truth Initiative. Ever since I recovered from my illness and I was involved in this group of people that are trying to get young people to stop s smoking and vaping. And um, I actually emailed them a long time ago. And um, finally, I was able to, to get in touch with somebody there. And, and it was it, it's honestly a dream come true because it's the best way. I think that the Truth Initiative is one of the organizations that's making the biggest impact. And uh, their previous campaigns were very successful. And um, they definitely resonated with me when I saw them before I even fell ill. I thought that they were very cool. Yeah, same here. I've always been a fan of the Truth Initiative's campaigns, the Truth Campaign. I remember uh, years ago, well before I ever worked there, uh, seeing the ads, thinking they were cool. Um, and it's, it is great working at an organization that has the resources and the talent to pull off big, and, uh, we've got a new campaign getting ready to launch this fall. Uh, and so keep, I keep your eye out for that. I think it's going to be really cool and resonate with young people, uh, and just try to stay or get ahead of this thing, um, I see we also have Alyssa up on stage. Um, Alyssa, do you have a question or a comment? Hi, everyone. Yes. Um, uh, thank you, everyone, for the uh, 
great presentation. Um, I learned a lot about um, what the industry is doing. Uh, I also work with the Vital Strategies team under um, STOP. And my question for anyone um, on the floor, um, wouldn't you say that young people are protected from, um, I guess, like tobacco advertising uh, or tobacco uh, advertising regulations and bans? Well, I think I think I'll jump in there and then maybe I'll open it up for for Emma or our, our truth colleagues. But we do know. Um, so if I understood the question correctly, you're saying you're asking if if, you know, because there are tobacco advertising bans and regulations doesn't this already protect youth right yes well we do know that tobacco companies fight or work around advertising bans i think we've seen that um, in a lot of places and especially with these new newer products you know there are loopholes and there are other ways that they can actually avoid these um these legal constraints Um, and there's evidence they have even violated their own policies against targeting young users so, I mean, in short, I think, yes, these, these rules and regulations may be in place in, in some places and, and probably better in some countries more than others, but they find a way to get around it. Um, and I think in other places, you know, it also requires um, the, the government or, or, you know, to kind of follow up and make sure that they are following these rules. Um, but maybe anyone else on the stage have more to add to this? I would just echo that, that they, you know, yes, there are rules that prevent, in the U.S. at least, rules that prevent uh, tobacco advertisers from marketing directly to young people. Uh, there's At the federal level and some local places have stronger rules, uh, but the tobacco industry, like, they basically invented advertising, and so they... Uh, I have no trouble finding ways to work around those rules and get their products in front of the eyes of young people in a favorable light, often in uh, really clever, engaging ways. Yeah, it's a little like playing whack-a-mole in that, you know, the policies, a lot of policies are very detailed and very strong and they're, you know, we would consider them comprehensive. Uh, but the industry is some of the smartest people working for them in advertising. And so they are able to uh, think outside the box and get around kind of what's on paper. You know, it's what there's the whole difference between what is uh, what is the spirit of the law and what is the actual law. And so I think what's what's really important, especially with these new products, is we do have to actually be adjusting the laws to cover them. Um, and that and allowing them to be flexible enough so that that governments can actually be quick in terms of cha- um, changing up the regulations and adding things under under the laws and regulations so that you can capture these new tactics quickly um, and prevent the industry from really getting their hooks with whatever they're doing. You know, I was wondering, you know, COVID-19, the pandemic has upended the world over the last year and a half. And any thoughts on how the pandemic has changed working on this, you know, on this issue, working on tobacco control? You know, what's different now from a year and a half ago? I'm just curious if anybody had any thoughts on that. 
Well, I would like to make a uh, quick comment, and that is that uh, from the statistics that I have looked at, it it appears as though there's less kids vaping. I believe the peak of the vaping epidemic was in 2019. I actually got sick around the peak of of, uh, the number of E-Valley cases, which was around mid to late 2019. And from the data that I've looked at in 2020, and even some in early 2021, at least it seems because the kids are not in school as much and they're not around each other, maybe peer pressure has something to do with that, but there seems to be, they seem to be vaping less. That's, that's quite interesting. Um, Mike, did you have something to add there? Yeah, uh, you know, Janelle was right that some of the national surveys show uh, a slight reduction in vaping, um, but, you know, still far higher prevalence than, uh, you know, I certainly think would be appropriate. Um, so, like, this is definitely still very much an issue that we need to be working hard and aggressively to curb and continue reducing youth vaping. Um, when we look at who has been using this as quitting, you know, we can kind of use demand for that cessation program as uh, something of a proxy for how much demand there is out there, how many people want to quit. And we really haven't seen a whole lot of change over the course of the pandemic. Um, I, you know, we had this hypothesis like, oh, you know, maybe people won't be uh, going out. And so, they won't be able to get their pods and they'll vape less, or maybe they're bored at home and they'll be vaping more. Um, and, but when we look at the rate of enrollments and this is quitting, it hasn't really changed much. And when we have asked people, uh, the, the sense that I get, I, I don't have really hard data on this, but uh, from several anecdotal reports and a, a few pieces of data here and there, it seems like, yeah, maybe some people are vaping less because of the pandemic. Maybe some other people are vaping more. Um, but in general, uh, the overall population it really hasn't changed much, and it still uh, remains very much uh, a big problem that needs to be addressed. That's absolutely um, that. That's right, and that makes sense. Um, it does look like we are at time, so I want to thank everybody on stage and everyone in the audience um, for your time and for your energy and for speaking about this really important topic. Um, I hope we can have all of you back on Public Health Power Hour in the future. Thanks again, everyone, for being part of Public Health Power Hour. We were here talking about next generation addiction. Um, definitely check out the Truth Initiatives um, upcoming campaigns. You, you can see on their website. And also, if you want to go to exposedtobacco.org, you can take a look at our um, latest campaign, Modern Addiction, that also talks about this. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Public Health Power Hour. We hold these live conversations several times a month on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at VitalStrat on Twitter to join the conversation in real time. We'd love to see you there. To learn more about how Vital Strategies is reimagining public health, go to www.vitalstrategies.org. I'm Steve Hamill with Vital Strategies. Join us next time on the Public Health Power Hour.